day, everyone, and welcome to my favorite time of the day, the Sports in the Basement NBA show for October 19th. I'm BVA. Today, we're going to talk about the woes of the Chicago Bulls. We're going to review tonight's action on the court, and we're going to talk to Uncle Pete about some of the early season activity. So let's get started by focusing on our lead topic tonight, the Chicago Bulls. As a kid, the Bulls were the team of the NBA. As close to America's team as anyone in the NBA, Michael Jordan led a team that defined the league for much of the 90s. It's ironic, then, that one of the members of those great teams is core to the destruction of the current Bulls. For the past 10 years or so, the Bulls have pushed for the top of the Eastern Conference. Since the 08-09 season, they've won more than 41 games every year. That run only resorted, however, in one trip to the conference finals, two second-round exits, and five first-round exits, with one year not even making the playoffs. The era was really defined by a core group of players and, frankly, an image. Derrick Rose, MVP one year, oft injured, famous Kevin Harlan call, holding onto his knee and down. Joakim Noah, a little bit crazy, from Florida. Tough guy, crazy free-throw shooter. Taj Gibson, smart, defensive, could always make the right move on the defensive end, even if he wasn't a great offensive scorer. And later, the scorer they needed in Jimmy Butler. But he was very quiet. That group, that core, was led by Tom Thibodeau, the horse-voiced defensive mastermind who rode his players hard. But Thibodeau was never really happy. He was consistently under micromanagement by Gar Pax, the two-headed basketball leadership of Gar Foreman and the before-mentioned John Paxson. Before last season, the Gar Pax team decided to break up the band. Rose and Noah were both traded to the Knicks. Rose is now with Cleveland, playing alongside LeBron James. Noah, still with New York, has one of the most ridiculed contracts after he was re-signed by the Phil Jackson tenure with New York. Taj was traded to OKC for Cameron Payne, the future point guard of the Bulls, who has yet to really have any marked uh, impact on the Bulls. This past season, they seemed to want a half tank. They kept Jimmy, picked up Rajon Rondo to kind of keep them middling, and then Dwayne Wade called. He wanted to come back to Chicago, was looking for a chance to make more money than what he'd been offered in Miami, and they felt obliged to, for marketing reasons or basketball reasons, make that deal which didn't work out so well. They created a three-headed monster that was bad for everybody. And then, this summer, Jimmy Butler, the last of that core group, was traded to Minnesota, where he joins Thibodeau, who was fired three years ago, and Taj Gibson. This season, the rebuild is in full effect. Picked to be one of the worst teams in the league, Robin Lopez was quoted as saying he thought he was the best player on the team. And so, it should not be that surprising that there was a fight at practice According to reports, Nikola Mirotic was going at Bobby Portis multiple times, got in his face. Portis got fed up and dropped him. The result? A broken jaw and concussion for Mirotic. He's expected to be out four to six weeks. Portis suspended eight games as a result. Fights happen. Frustrations boil over. The tension of working physically together over and over again, especially in a training camp environment, can lead to fights. But this was not normal blowing off steam. In some ways... It weirdly harkens back to a famous Bulls teammate fight of the past. Steve Kerr describes a 1995 training camp scuffle with Michael Jordan that put the team on track for the season and established an order for things. Kerr said it made Jordan trust him in the clutch. Neither Portis nor Miritich is Steve Kerr, and certainly neither is Michael Jordan. 
For a team with such great history, this fight is instead a black eye on the franchise, and not the kind of black eye that Kerr suffered in his fight. In the NBA, there's an axis of power, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, usually centered around large cities. And even in years where New York, Boston, and L.A. struggle, Chicago could always come through with a strong team. This year, this team looks likely to struggle to even get to 20 wins. My, how the mighty have fallen. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with a rundown of tonight's games. Welcome back. Let's take a look at the action on the court tonight. We'll start with Philadelphia at Washington. NBA debut for both of the last two first-round picks, Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz. And the game was even till a 9-2 Wizards run in the first, followed by a later 5-0 run, led to a 9-point Wizards lead to end the first. Sixers, though, rallied in the second, outscoring Washington by 12 in the frame, take a three-point lead into the half. After a 5-0 and a 9-0 run by the Wizards, a 15-4 run gave them their largest lead of the game at 11. But after a couple runs from the Sixers, the game came down to the wire. The final minute, tough for the Wizards to hang on. Philadelphia gave them all the help they could. They turned the ball over twice, and J.J. Redick missed a potential game winner. One of the big notes from this game, there was an injury to Jason Smith. Smith starting for Markeith Morris in the game. He played just seven minutes before leaving with a sprained right shoulder. Be evaluated tomorrow. We also saw some interesting play from Embiid. Supposed to be under a minutes restriction. We were told it was 15 to 20 minutes. He played just shy of 27 minutes. Wall for the Wizards, 28 points, 8 assists. Beal had 25, and Kelly Oubre continues great play off the bench with 14 points and 8 rebounds. For the Sixers, Covington had 29 and 7 rebounds. Ben Simmons with 18 and 10 rebounds. Embiid, I mentioned 27 minutes, 18 points, 13 rebounds, but the Wizards get the win, 120 to 115. Milwaukee at Boston. And of course, one night after the gruesome injury to Gordon Hayward, he pre-game delivered a video message to the fans, um, which was a, a nice touch and an uplifting thing. They gave him a round of applause, obviously, standing ovation, obviously. Marcus Smart would start in his place, and Celtics led most of the first after an early 8-0 run. The second, though, 19-7 run by the Bucks gave them a lead and got them to five points up at the half. One of the interesting things in the second, Marcus Smart and Delavidova got into it pretty pretty hard after several hard fouls, elbows to the chest, um, and that would continue throughout the game, really hard physical play. In the third, 14-2 Celtics run gave them a five-point lead that held all the way until the fourth, but a 17-4 run by the Bucks in the fourth gave them a lead that they were never able to relinquish. Giannis drove to the paint and kicked out to Delavidova for three to seal the victory. Giannis finished with 37 points and 13 rebounds. A huge night for him, dominant on both ends of the court. Brogdon, the uh, reigning Rookie of the Year, 19 points. Delvadova, 15 points off the bench. For the Celtics, Tatum had 8 and 9 rebounds. He had his left wrist taped after the game, said to a couple reporters that he sprained it. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, the Celtics cannot deal with another injury. Kyrie finished with 17, Jalen Brown with 18. Rozier continues really nice play off the bench with 15, 7 rebounds, and 6 assists. The Bucks get the win, though, 108-100. to New Orleans at Memphis, and Cousins and Davis down low led the Pelicans in the first. They finished the quarter with a 10-4 run to lead by 7. Memphis responded, though, in the second. A 14-2 run gave them a lead, and after a Pelicans run, they took only a 2-point lead into the half, though. 
third belonged to Memphis. They took a nine-point lead going into the fourth. And in the fourth, they were able to hold off anything major from New Orleans. This game really wasn't in doubt as it came down the line. Connolly finished with 27. Dylan Brooks, the rookie, uh, 19 and five rebounds. A great night from him. And Gasol had 14 and 11 before he fouled out with about three or four minutes to go. For New Orleans, Davis, 33 and 18. Cousins with 28 and 10. Those are both great, but that was really the only bright spots. New Orleans shot 38% from the field, including 7 for 25 from 3. Holiday, obviously the biggest person there, finished with only 4 points. Memphis wins 103-91. to Denver visiting the Utah Jazz. And Jamal Murray gets the start over Moutier. That settled that debate. Um, coach said that it, it's going to be a not necessarily a back and forth, but they're both going to get plenty of minutes. For the Jazz, Rodney Hood had gastric distress, which was later described as basically he had a nervous stomach, and was pulled from the starting lineup, but came in within the first rotation. First was uh, was uh, first quarter was pretty close, but a 17 to four Nuggets run set them up. They led by nine going into the second, and a back-and-forth second allowed them to keep that nine-point lead to go to the half. The Nuggets really continued to just kind of coast, led through the third, but a 9-2 run to finish the quarter set them up for a comeback. In the fourth, Alec Burks just took over. In one sequence, he dunked, hit two threes, then finished a reverse layup to finally give the Jazz a lead, and... The other thing about the fourth for the Jazz was the defense um, outscored the Nuggets as a whole 28-13. to 13. And if you know anything about the Nuggets, that's a team that's going to score a lot of points. But the Jazz were able to shut them down. Burks, as I mentioned, huge fourth, had 16 points off the bench in total. Favors had 14. Gobert, big night for him, 18 points, 10 rebounds, but had six turnovers. For the Nuggets, Will Barton had 23 and six rebounds off the bench to lead the team. Paul Millsap had 19 points, six rebounds, but also had a lot of turnovers, five for him. And Jokic only had seven points, but had 12 rebounds and eight assists. The Jazz complete the comeback, beat the Nuggets 106 to 96. Minnesota at San Antonio, and the Spurs missing continue to miss Kawhi Leonard and Tony Parker. 7-1 and 18-5 run by the Spurs gave them a nice lead in the first, led to a 7-point lead to end the quarter. The Wolves jumped out in the second, though. 8-0 run. Spurs answer right back with a 9-0 run of their own to take a 4-point lead into the half. In the third, the Spurs extended the lead all the way up to 13 before they fought back from the, the Wolves to finish it with a Spurs 10-point lead. We get to the fourth, though, the Wolves' vets really led a charge for them. 15-4 to run, giving them the lead, but then the bottom just seemed to fall out for them. They only managed two field goals in the final five minutes after they took that one-point lead. Meanwhile, the Spurs went on 11-1 to run to really stretch it out for them. Aldridge, big night for him. 25 points, 10 rebounds after signing that big extension. Danny Green, 17 points. Deontay Miller, 16 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists in place of Parker. For the Wolves, Wiggins had a nice night, 26 points and 5 rebounds. Towns with 18 and 13 rebounds. Butler, 12 in his debut. But the Spurs hang on to get the 107-99 victory over the Timberwolves. Elsewhere in the league, Charlotte visited Detroit. This was the opening of their new arena. Eminem came out and spoke to the crowd. And the Pistons were able to get the win, 102-90. Brooklyn at Indiana. Lots of youth and speed in this one. Jeremy Lin left mid-fourth with an apparent knee injury. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with that tomorrow. Obviously, he's had an injury-prone career, to say the least. Indiana get the win at home, 140-131. to Miami at Orlando. Evan Fournier hits three clutch shots in the fourth, finishes with 23 points, and Orlando hangs on for the win, 116-109. to Atlanta at Dallas. Schroeder, 28 points to lead the Hawks, and they get the win, 117-111. to 
Portland at Phoenix. This was just complete dominance from the Blazers. Portland wins 124-76. to And finally, Houston at Sacramento. Uh, on the back-to-back for Houston, Harden finishes with 27 and 9 assists with Chris Paul out. And Rockets hold on to win 105-100. to We'll take another break. Come back to talk to Uncle Pete. Stay tuned. back Uncle Pete good to talk to you again well it's great to be back and I'm sure happy that we have basketball going on it's it's going and I think it's going to be a great year a whole lot of talent in the NBA I'm very pleased with with the entertainment dollar likewise likewise um I want to talk a little bit about opening night um we'll start with sort of the melancholy um Gordon Hayward's injury about five or six minutes into the game what was your takeaway in the immediate aftermath and sort of as we've learned a little bit more over the last 24 hours? Oh, I think it was terrible. It just brings back memories of, you know, the Paul George situation. There's a couple others. Uh, it was terrible. I don't think he's going to play for the rest of the year, personally. And I think it's it's terrible. But then I got to thinking, trying to get, doing a little research here, it might be, uh, it's a terrible thing to say, but it might be a blessing for the for uh, the Celtics. That remains to be seen. They're, they're young ball players, they're young wings. They'll get more playing time, they'll have to produce, and from what I've seen, they're capable of doing it. Yeah, we saw some of that last night. You know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, both strong nights. Um, you know, I, you may be right. I mean, it may be especially if your belief was that they needed another year potentially before they could really challenge the Cavs. This could not be a, a, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's not a bad thing because of course it's a bad thing. And obviously when we talk about these things, we have to sort of separate the the personalities and the personal aspect for, for Hayward. But, you know, in terms of the Celtics, it could be better for their long-term development. I I mean, I I would have to agree with you. Could be. I don't know. We'll see. We'll wait and see. Do you feel like there's going to be ramifications on other teams in the East? I mean, there's other, you know, other challengers that potentially now could come up, you know, whether it's a Toronto, a Washington, maybe Milwaukee. What's your take on the the landscape of the rest of the East? Well, that's a tough one for me until I see him. I don't know what's holding back Milwaukee. I mean, I think they need a good quality coach, and they, they've got a whole lot of talent. And I was really pleasantly surprised by the Uncle Bennies. They really looked good. I watched part of their game today, and they look good. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Matter of fact, and this is just from the eye test of one day, one game. I know you're going to probably think I'm a couple, a couple bubbles off. I think they got a good chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's possible as well. I mean, if Embiid can stay on the floor, can stay healthy, they can get their rotations down. Uh, Fultz can, you know, stay healthy, stay on the floor. I, I don't see any reason to, to disagree. Um, if we look at the other games last night, you know, I want to ask you about some injuries that we saw in the first game. And, and, and it's been a sloppy, you know, we're seeing more tonight. But it's been a sloppy start to the season. Last night, Draymond Green goes out in the fourth. 
ends up probably costing the Warriors the game. He had an MRI today. Uh, we're still waiting on results for that. It seems to me that if he's going to be out for any stretch of time, it's going to be tough on that team. We're going to see a lot of Zaza, a lot of JaVale McGee. With Iggy out as well, it's sort of you lose the soul of that team in a lot of ways, don't you think? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly with you there. He is. He is the the nuts and bolts that holds it together, you know, the glue. He's the glue. I certainly agree with you. Uh, he sort of holds it together. He plays defense. He does, let's put it this way, whatever they need at the time, he'll do. Whether it's hitting a three-point play, stealing a ball, getting a big rebound, playing defense, whatever the team needs at the moment, he does it. And that's hard, very, very difficult to replace. Yeah. <clears throat> He, you know, at one point during the game, literally was playing point forward, point center, however you want to refer to it. Yeah. The the point guard on the other team, Chris Paul, also injured. He was out tonight. Uh, he left similarly in the fourth quarter, but he seemed to have more of a supporting ensemble that stepped up in his place. If he misses extended time, obviously that's going to have a big effect, but it would seem to not be as big of a deal, maybe just because he's new to the team, I guess. I mean, I mean, what's your thought on the Rockets if Chris Paul can't go for a period here you know i gave that a lot of thought and after watching the game and analyzing it they played a hell of a lot better without him on the floor and you know gordon's a good ball player good three-point shooter he's he's skilled he's got uh <clears throat> he's got experience uh and once chris paul went out so when they made up that uh what was it seven or nine point deficit yep. and uh so i'm not sure and i'm I don't question Dan, Dan Antonio because I think he's a great coach, and he really he understands the small ball, hit and run, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I hate to say this, and you might think I'm a little off off base. I'm not sure that they wouldn't be better without Chris Paul. Hmm. He didn't show me much on there. What did he get? Two points, I think. I looked at his stats. It was a rough night. I mean, he he had you know a decent night from the assist standpoint, and he. But yeah, I mean, he seems out of sorts. You know, the the Rockets yeah. were minus fifteen with both of them on the floor when he went off. They were plus sixteen. I mean, that's that's your game right there. It was a one point win. That's how they won. Um, exactly. Yeah, I I'm curious to see. I'm I'm not willing to write him off yet, and it sounds like you're probably not either. But uh, we'll see. You know, it's not. Not the way you want to start the first regular season game against a big opponent, for sure. So, I'm not willing to write him off, but Dan Antonio, and if anybody can do it, it's Dan Antonio. He's got to make them gel, make it all fit. And boy, uh, unfortunately, there's only one ball. Mm-hmm. And he, as well as Harden, are both on-ball guards. So there it is. Yeah. I want to ask you about um, a couple of things elsewhere in the league. Yesterday, news came out about a uh, a scuffle, a fight, if you will, between Miritich and Portis in Chicago. Uh, Miritich, uh, broken jaw, also had a concussion. He's going to be out four to six weeks. Portis now suspended for eight games by the team. You know, what's your take on this as a as a longtime observer of the Bulls? I I can tell you what the what's going on around here is they're making a joke of it, but. Uh... You know, I mean, it's felonious assault, and all he got was eight games off. Only in the city of Chicago does that happen. 
<laughs> There's a lot of truth to that, you know, but I, I don't know what happened. I don't want to give the Bulls the benefit of the doubt. Although, I, you know, I, I thought uh, Hoiberg had control of these guys this year because they were all young in that. This, to me, sends a bad message that he really doesn't have control over because what both of them did, I don't care who's at fault, who started it or anything else, what occurred was downright ignorant. It's just, for lack of a better term, stupid on both of their parts. Yeah. You know? I want to uh, get your opinion on one more thing before we let you go here. Um, the Spurs, we talked about them and how they you know, had an interesting offseason where they didn't really make a whole lot of moves. They re-signed Gasol. This week they re-signed Aldridge as well. Three years, $72 million uh, in an extension. Uh, my sense is that you probably feel like this was not good use of the money, but it's the Spurs. So how do you come out on a move like this that, you know, uh, it's a lot of money going to somebody who hasn't really been that effective? I hate to question Pops because it seems like every time I do, I get it, I get embarrassed. But I think it's a poor move on their part. First of all, because of his age, his performance, and the way he fits in. And that's a lot of money. There's a lot of talent out there. A lot of these young guys look very, very good, you know, that they could have picked up. And I, I wouldn't have done it. Let's put it that way. I wouldn't have done it. If I was the GM or the general manager or what have you, I definitely would not have given it to him. For some reason, he, he just hasn't performed there, period. He's, he's not the same ball player he was in Portland. With that, Uncle Pete, I appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. A pleasure, as always. Feel free to call. I will be more than happy to put in my two cents, whether <laughs> you like it or not. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll give it to you honestly. I'll tell you the truth and then get out of town. <laughs> With that, we want to thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being heard tomorrow. You can subscribe on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and FeedBurner. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and email us at nba at sportsfromthebasement.com. Have a great day, everyone.